going to do right now is we're going to look at the subject matter of worship. So what I want to do is we kind of move on into this. I want to basically say this, is that for us as human individuals, we all worship. The question or the issue really is not so much, do you worship? But the question or the issue that really is, what do you worship? That's the most important thing. From the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible, everything in between, the one concept that's interwoven throughout the entire Bible that affects all of our lives is this issue of worship. We all worship. All of us are made to worship. All right? Uh, you know, the funny thing is for us as a, as a nation, uh, we enter into this really crazy time of year right after Thanksgiving. Everybody, it's almost like a license to go psychotic. All right? People storm. They meet at 4 o'clock in the morning in the parking lot of Walmart just so that they can save $5 on a clock radio. And and they call it, it's okay, because it's a Christmas present. I mean, what happens, really what we see here is people recognizing that there's a value that people place upon things and they're willing to get up. Now, 4 o'clock, that means they get up at 3, make a cup of coffee, Take a shower, maybe, if you're lucky, and then you go wait in line. I was watching the news where that 32-year-old guy got stampeded. There's up to 4,000 people in the parking lot at 4 in the morning. Okay, What we're talking about here is people having a value system in their mind that says, I value this, I, I, I devote myself to this, and I will do whatever i got to do. Whatever I gotta do to get smelly soaps or a discount on a, on a DVD player. That's it. I'll do whatever I gotta do. If there's a 32 year old guy standing in the way, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna get that clock radio. And what happens, it's really an issue of worship. It's really an issue of worship. What are the things that we value? What are the things that we devote ourselves to? What are the things that we give ourselves to? That is what we worship. Unfortunately, in our culture, when we think of worship, we tend to think of either a genre of music, right? You go to the parable and you see a little title, a little placard that says, Worship, right? And you're like, Tim Hughes, Matt Redman, you're like, I think I'll buy that. And we think of either a genre of music, or we think of a little period of time, either before the service or after the teaching, where some guy comes up, plays a guitar, and sings a little bit, and we call that worship. That definitely is a part of worship. It definitely can involve worship. But when we think of it exclusively as that, then we basically come to false uh, conclusions about worship is. Worship definitely is that, but it's far more than that. So what I want to do this morning is we look at this, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to make a promise to you. All right, I'm going to do the best that I can. Typically on Sunday mornings, I'll teach for like an hour, all right? 40 minutes, right? You guys laugh, right? When have I ever taught 40 minutes? All right, typically like an hour, all right? I'm going to do the best that I can to go less than that today because I like you kids, all right? And I don't want you kids going crazy. And I want you guys enjoying church, enjoying Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this bigger concept of worship. We're going to ask a few questions. So the first question I want to kind of look at and ask really is this. What is worship? What is worship? I have a little definition here. Here's how I just defined it. And then after that, we'll take a look at a few verses that kind of broaden this perspective. But here's the way that I would look at it. Worship is reverence, love, 
and devotion given to a deity, an idol, or an object. Okay, you, you gotta, you gotta get this whole picture because what we're going to in the Bible is hopefully true worship is gonna be centered on the true living God. But in its general sense, in its broad sense, worship is when somebody reveres something, somebody loves something, somebody devotes themselves to something that they value as, as beautiful, which is either a deity, an idol, or an object. So that's kind of a very broad definition of worship. The next thing I want to take a look at here is in the book of Romans chapter 11. So if you guys turn there real quick, Romans chapter 11. I want to read a few verses here. Romans chapter 11. The very last verse of Romans chapter 11 goes something like this. Paul is writing. He has just gotten finished talking about some very huge uh, concepts about God. Romans chapter 11, beginning at about verse 36, says this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And then Paul finishes with his little statement. He says, To Him be glory forever. Amen. So Paul basically makes a statement that God is a great God. right? God is an all-glorious, all-powerful, all-majestic, all-worthy God. And he finishes with his little statement. Amen. Meaning, I agree with that. I'm in agreement with that. My life is in alignment with that. That's what worship begins. And Paul goes on in chapter 12, verse 1, a verse that many of you guys are probably familiar with. Then he goes on and says something like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So Paul starts off in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So a Christian, if you're looking for a good working definition of a, of a Christian, a Christian really is this. Somebody who, by God's mercy, has had their eyes opened, where now they actually see Jesus as all-glorious. Okay, That's what a Christian is. Before you were a Christian... Jesus was just a teacher, he was a rabbi, he was some dude that wore a dress. Jesus was just something. He wasn't God. He wasn't all glorious. He wasn't something to where you would literally give your life for him. But what happens through salvation, God opens our eyes, and now we actually see Jesus as all glorious. And what happens through that, again, it's by the mercies of God, then what takes place is then we begin to devote ourselves, we make sacrifice, and ultimately, he says that we are conformed or either transformed. So, I kind of said this on this little bottom line right here in the white and the black text. It says, glory plus presenting plus sacrificing equals conformity or transformation. Here's what I mean by that. Is that worship, according to Paul, is basically this. When we value something, we call that glory. It's glorious. We value it. What happens when we value something in our mind, when we look at it, we think, that's great. We begin to give ourselves to it. Paul uses the phrase, present. We present our bodies. We begin to give our time. We begin to give our energy. We begin to devote our talent to that particular thing that we value. You guys following so far? And then Paul says, we sacrifice ourselves. Or we sacrifice things. Here's what happens. We begin to make arrangements within our life that says, I will give myself to that which I value and nothing's going to stop me. 
So we begin to give money, we begin to give time, we begin to allocate certain you know, days throughout our week to make sure that we can obtain that which we value. Okay? You guys following so far? And then finally, he says, we will either be conformed or transformed. We will either be conformed or transformed based upon what it is that we devote ourselves to. The word conformed is kind of an interesting Greek word. I'm going to try the best that I can to pronounce this. I by no means am a Greek scholar. But here's what the word is. Su skamatezo. We get the English word schematic. All right? Paul says, don't be conformed. Don't become sort of a carbon copy schematic. But then he goes on and says, but rather be transformed. Now here's the word transformed that probably most of you would, would, would know. It's the word metamorpho. Okay? Adults, don't answer this. Kids, anybody know what metamorpho might be in English? Metamorpho, what does it sound like? Metamorphosis, right? Okay, does any kid, alright, adults, just be patient, okay, be patient. What, what does metamorphosis mean? What metamorphosizes? Not even sure if that's a word. What does that? Does anybody know what metam what has goes through the process of metamorphosis? Any kid? Butterfly. That was a big kid. Really big kid or a kid on steroids. Alright? Alright. A butterfly. Okay, you guys gotta listen up here. Metamorphosis means that there's a change, but it's a change not just by conformity, but it's an actual transformation. Right? A butterfly starts out as a lowly worm and then turns into this beautiful moth or butterfly or whatever it is. It's this idea of transformation. So what Paul's trying to communicate is that what we value, that which we value, we will also present our bodies for, we'll give ourselves to that, and we will also make sacrifices, meaning we will be able to make, we'll start making arrangements in our lives to make sure that we can obtain that and then ultimately what either happens, based upon whatever it is that we worship, if we worship God, then we will be transformed. Right? We will go through this process of metamorphosis where we will change. We will become like God. Or we will be conformed. Meaning we will just become like the rest of the schematic of this fallen world around us. Okay? So I want to give you guys another verse just to make sure that we understand this clearly. So if you would, turn in your Bibles real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to take a look at the very last verse of uh, chapter 3. It says this. To Him be glory. So there's the concept. Glory. Right? This is the way Paul talked in Romans. To Him be glory. God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, basically saying the exact same thing that he said in Romans chapter 11. Jesus is all glorious. You agree with me? Amen. Right? Amen. And then he goes on and says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy. Now, this little concept of walking in a manner worthy is just another way of saying, present your bodies, make sacrifices. For Jesus. Give yourself over to Jesus. And here's what he says what happens. 
he's not going to talk about the conformity, but he's going to give you some examples of what happens when we see Jesus is all glorious and we present our bodies, or the way Paul uses it here, we walk worthy. All right? Here's what happens. Here's what transformation looks like. He says in verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here's what Paul's communicating. When we value Jesus, when we actually see Jesus as glorious, to the point where we will devote ourselves to Him, make sacrifices to serve Him, present our bodies as sacrifices, or to use Ephesians language, to walk in a manner that's worthy, what will happen is we will then begin to take upon these character attributes of our lives. For example, humility, gentle, patient, love, unity, peace. Alright, who fits every one of these characteristic traits? Jesus. Jesus does. Every one of these is exactly the way God is. God is humble. God is gentle. God is patient. God is love. God is one. Paul says there's unity. God is also full of peace. God is peace. He is our peace. That's the concept. So what Paul's communicating is when it comes to God, when we devote ourselves to God and worship God, we will then become conformed, or I should say transformed, into this image of God. We will become like Him. Okay? So I want to make sure that we really have a grasp upon what it is that worship is. Okay, what I want to do now is I want to ask the next question. What is the opposite of worship? What is the opposite of worship? Some have suggested that the opposite of worship is actually atheism. Right? The opposite of somebody that maybe worships God. Well, of course, he's an atheist. In reality, that's not true. The opposite of worship is not atheism. But rather, the opposite of worship is idolatry. I got a picture up here uh, that really is probably a, a, a graphic description of all of the types of idols that we tend to give ourselves over to. It was the reformer uh, during the 1500s by the name of John Calvin who said this statement, which I think was very accurate. He says, the heart is an idol factory. Okay, here's the problem. We were made to worship God. God created us with the capacity to value, to love, to respect things that are great, to value beauty, to value greatness, right? That's, that's the way we are. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we stand in awe of people that are, you know, celebrities. Because there's something inside of us that says, that's great. God created us like that so that we would find worship in Him because God is great. Because God is beautiful. God is glorious. What has happened through the fall that rather than seeing God as all-glorious, rather than seeing God as beautiful and all-powerful, we've now become very confused in the way that we look at things. So here's what happens. In the world today, rather than seeing God as all-glorious, God is all beautiful. God is all full of honor and greatness. We begin to view other things as being that. So we don't stop worshiping. Rather, we continue to worship. But rather than worshiping the true and living God, our heart becomes this factory. We make idols. We make idols out of anything and everything we can think of. Right? People view rock and roll music. That's an idol. We worship that. We've got the, you know 
everything you see on this picture. Things that we value. Things that we look at and say, I want that. I need that. I've got to have that. On and on and on. We basically make these idols. We value them. All of these things take some sort of form of glory. Then we begin to devote ourselves to them. We make sacrifices for them. And then guess what happens? We become conformed into the image of the schematic of this world, which is not loving, which is not patient, which is not gentle, which is not full of love, which is not peaceful, which is not full of unity. Rather, quite the opposite. Is this making sense to you guys so far? I know it's something that none of you guys have ever dealt with in your life, nor are currently dealing with, but you just got to imagine with me. Okay? So, what we begin to see is that this is the big problem in the world. I want to give you an example. All right, in the book of 1 John, uh, the writer John, he was one of Jesus' best friends. He finishes this little epistle, this little letter, by basically saying this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John's writing to Christians. He's writing to people that claim to love God. But he finishes his little statement by saying, you guys, protect yourself. Stop worshiping. Stop giving yourselves to. Don't give yourselves to idols. See, the propensity for even believers is to trick ourselves into thinking we're actually, actually worshiping God, but in reality we're really not worshiping God. We're worshiping something else that has captivated our hearts. And we devote ourselves to it. We give ourselves to it. I'll give you an example biblically. In the book of um, Romans... Paul, or Philippians, I should say. Paul basically talks about this. He says this about Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. He talks about, he says, The end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And the glory in their shame, they glory in their shame, and their minds are set on earthly things. So Paul talks about this little statement. He says, Their God is their belly. Jesus also talks about, he says, You can only serve God or mammon. The concept of mammon was money. Alright? So here's the deal. First, start with the concept of food. Do people actually worship their belly? Right? Do people worship their belly? It might kind of sound funny, especially the concept of idolatry. In our culture, we tend to look at idolatry and think, well, we're far advanced. We don't worship idols. Right? We don't bow down to like little things that you see on your far left, my right. Those little idols. We don't worship those little things. Nobody buys those. Nobody bows down to them. Nobody. At least that I know of in our modern culture. Right? So the idea is to maybe think, well, maybe we don't worship idols. Well, the reality is that we do. The problem is, is that we replace them with other more modern idols, things that really we value. So here's what happens. The concept of worshiping your belly as a god, this concept of food, there are people that worship food. All right? It's this idea that when you're having a hard time, you go to the refrigerator. When you're really happy, you celebrate, you go out to eat. When you're having a, you know, just whatever type of day you're having, you go buy food. You eat, and you eat some more. People go to places like Hometown Buffet. That's like going to church. Pack up the family, put on your Sunday best clothes, grab the coupon. You go, you pay your check, and you give your tip. That's like your tithe. And you just have a worship service. And you go back for two or three worship services, right? And you just keep going back. And at the end of the year, you look down, you see your belly, it's really big, and you think, my God, it's very big. He's bigger this year than he was last year. Well, think about it. 
Think about this. I'm not making this up. This is Bible stuff, so this is a good illustration. Uh, the reality is, is that when a belly becomes God and we value food, that becomes the idol that we bow down to when we're hurting, when we're having a good time, when we're happy, whatever type of emotion we are in, engaging, when we worship food in that respect, what takes place is we begin to devote ourselves to that. Right? Now, let, let me even throw out another example. There are some people that maybe struggle with eating disorders. Right? Say, I don't eat a lot of food. Well, still food is the idol. It's this idea that I'm going to avoid it at all costs. So I will put my energy, my time, my strength into avoiding it. It becomes an idol. It becomes something we bow down to. Now, this whole thing started out nice and happy, but you begin to see as we go through this, it gets pretty serious. It gets pretty intense, all right? Because what happens is we begin to realize, wait a minute. <laughs> well, maybe we don't just worship these little tiki gods, but maybe we all are confronted with the reality or the temptations of worshiping false gods. We devote our energy to these things. We devote our time. We devote our energy, our strength, to not only obtaining it or to not having it. Jesus talks about money. You can only worship God or mammon. Some people, I know it's easy for us, you know, maybe if we're kind of, San Luis is, for the most part, is kind of middle class, alright? It's easy for middle class to look at really rich people and be like, those guys are losers. Those guys are the ones that are bringing the country down. Rich get rich, poor get poor, so on and so forth. And what happens is we think, you know, we sit back smugly and think, well, we don't struggle with money. Do you know that you don't even have to have any money? I mean, you could be somebody that has I mean, you wear a barrel around your waist, right? And still actually worship the God of money. Here's how. Because in your mind, even though you absolutely have nothing, no money in your bank account, no house to live in, no food to eat, everything in your being says, if I just had it, I would be happy. What is that? It's a God. It's a God. It's a God. So you can be rich in worship mammon. You can be completely poor in worship mammon. You can be in the middle class in worship mammon. Because it's a God that we look at and we think, if I just had more of it, I'd be happy. If I just had more of it, I can buy that plasma TV and I would be happy. If I just had more, I can go on vacation. I'd be happy. If I can just buy a little bit more food, then I can have even more worship services and be more happier. Okay? This is pretty serious stuff. So as we continue to look at this, we have to assess our own hearts and come to the same conclusion as Calvin did that our hearts are idol factories. It's not that it's an issue of should you worship? Do you worship? It's an issue of who do we worship? Who do we devote ourselves to? Who do we give ourselves over to? Alright? So as we continue, I want to ask kind of the next question. Why does it matter what we worship? I mean, why is it important? Why is it even something that we should be concerned about? Well, I wanted you to uh, hear a verse. If you want, you can turn there. Uh, Psalm 115 says this. I think I have it up on the screen, so if you can follow along or you can turn to it. It says this. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love, your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. 
And he's making this contrast between the God of Israel, the God that they're attempting to worship and devote themselves to, and the God of the nations. In this case, they're the idols. In verse 4 he says this, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Um, in our modern day context, we can say they're made out of plastic, right? Or aluminum and come in a nice little box in either a 15 inch screen or a 13.3 inch screen with a big apple on the outside. Okay? Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. Eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Noses, but they don't smell. They have hands and don't feel feet, but they don't walk. They do not make a sound in their throat. Verse 8, those who make them become like them. So do those who trust in them. Verse 9 ends with this exhortation. O Israel, trust in the Lord. In contrast, his whole point is stop worshiping these false gods because you will become like the gods you devote yourself to. The end of the exhortation, worship God. Value God. Devote yourself to God. Make sacrifice for God. Give your bodies as living sacrifices for God. So the question again, why does all this matter? Really the reason why all this matters is again, God created us with the propensity to worship. Okay? God's ultimate goal, alright, um, if you want a really good piece of literature to read by Jonathan Edwards, I'd say it's one of the best. John Piper actually writes a book that sort of incorporates it. Some of the, the, the fact of the end for which God created all things. Alright, so if you're ever just kind of wondering, what's the end? What's the ultimate, final end for which God created everything? The summary is this. So that the glory of God will be seen throughout the entire creation. So that God's glory would be seen throughout all. Alright? God's glory would be seen throughout all. Now in the garden, is that what happened? Yeah. God, God says, it's all good. All my creation's good. All space. All universe, all humanity is very good. What happens was man sins. All right? Prior to that, God says, be fruitful, have lots of kids, fill the earth, be a bunch of people that just love me, serve me, devote themselves to me, value me, and in doing so, you're going to populate this earth, and by populating this earth, the earth is going to be filled with a bunch of people that actually are kind to one another, that actually love one another, that are actually humble, that serve one another, that when somebody's hurting or whatever, having a hard day, they're like, can I help you? You know, rather than just sort of shutting them or turning them away. This is God's intention. And all of this is sort of a way which God would say that the glory of God would fill the earth. When we fell, when sin happened, when sin entered into the world, Rather than worshiping God, we've begun to devote ourselves to other things. Okay? We devote ourselves to other things. The reason why? Because our value system is broken. Alright? I've said this before many times. We will devote ourselves to, most passionately, that which we value most. Alright? The real issue in our lives, in every one of our lives, are worship issues. I've talked with Adults that are going through marital problems. You know, the wife's just like my husband. He's always at work. Never hangs out with the kids. I beg him. I want 
ask him, go to church with me. doesn't want to go to church. doesn't want to hang out with the kids. doesn't want to devote himself to the family. The reason why, like, guys, yell at my husband. Tell him something that is wrong. All right? Tell him that he's a bad guy. Do something. Fix him. The real issue is a worship issue. See, the husband actually thinks that which is most valuable and worthy is either his advancement in a job to kind of boost up his own ego. So he feels this need. i got to work all the time. So here's what he does. He devotes himself to it. He makes sacrifices. That means when kids are like, hey, can we hang out, Dad? He's like, no, nope, i got to go worship. Got to go worship. I'm devoting myself to my God. It's called the office. Or whatever. Alright? This is what happens in our culture. This is what happens in our hearts. This is what happens in our society. It's really worship issues. Some guy that might be very angry. You know, somebody that's struggling with a lot of anger. How does that tie into worship? It ties in this way. Because the God that he's worshiping is himself. He sees himself as ultimate. Right? And when people cross his path, he wants to get angry. He wants to punch something. He wants to hit something. He's frustrated because his God has been violated because he has devoted himself to his God. He will fight. He will make sacrifice to make sure his God is protected. Is this making sense? It's really hot in here and really quiet. My point is that everything boils down to a worship issue. Everything in our lives. Everything goes back down to this one simple core element. Who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? I want to finish with this, asking a few questions in this little section here. Here's some of the questions I want to ask. I should think about them. First question is this. Where do you turn... Um, in pain, when you need comfort, in times of celebration, like who do you turn to? All right, if the names of the people you turn to are like Jim Bean, Jose Cuervo, that's really bad. All right, it's very possible that's your God. Okay? What do you turn to when you're happy? Somebody who's like, I got a drinking problem. No, you don't have a drinking problem. You actually have a worship problem. Got a drug problem. Nope. Worship problem. Anger problem. Mm-mm. Worship. Everything is linked back to this concept of worship. Who do we worship? What do we value? What do we devote ourselves to? I got a money problem. Keeps burning holes in my pocket. Mm-mm. Worship problem. What do you value? If you value things, items, you will make sacrifice. And devote yourself to it. Therefore, you will never have any of that green stuff. You just won't have it. Everything goes back to this concept of worship. And pain, and comfort. Obviously, some of you guys hit by the economy. So I'm not saying if you're like having a hard time financially, you're like... But what I'm trying to say ultimately is that in our lives, everything is linked back to this concept. Does it mean that we can't enjoy stuff? Does it mean that we can't like have good food and enjoy good food or drink or enjoy life? No, not at all. All that stuff is a part of God's good creation 
gifted to us for what purpose? To ultimately find joy in Him. So that when we eat good food, we're like, God, thank you. This is, this turkey was amazing. Thank you. Alright? Or God, thank you for creating a mountain that I can walk on. Alright? This is, you are such a good God. Or God, thank you for really nice clothes. This is great. I am so blessed. So blessed. Thank you, God, for the amazing things you've given us. But what happens is rather than giving thanks to God, we make these things the major aim of our lives. We devote. We sacrifice. We ultimately are conformed to these things. And the way to break this cycle is to readjust what you worship, what you value, what you see. So, who, where do you turn in times of pain, comfort, and celebration? That's a really good indicator as to who the God or gods or things are that you worship. Who or what rules your life? Right? This is one of the reasons why in Christian teaching, the phrase Lord comes often. Right? You hear Jesus is like Jesus or the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord doesn't happen to be his first name. Right? Jesus is middle name and Christ is last name. Right? Like you and I. Lord Jesus Christ. First, middle, last. Now, Lord actually is a title. Right? It's always a title. It's basically another way of saying he holds the authority over my life. Jesus has the authority over me. I bend my knee to Him. I value Him. I submit to Him. I love Him. He is a good God. And I will give myself to Him. So the issue is what rules your life? You know, it's funny. I, I've talked with, uh, you know, if our church, we've been here almost 15 years, a little over 14 years. We've gone through waves of having uh, parents have lots of kids. I mean, we've had so many kids over the past few years it's been unprecedented, alright? Kids everywhere. Our children's ministry is massive, alright? It's great. A lot of excitement, a lot of great stuff. A lot of healthy marriages, which is great. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that what's happened is I've also even seen, even though it gets tough having kids, I've watched parents worship kids. Here's what I mean. They'll do anything for the kid. Kids like not having a good day, no church, no prayer meetings, no hanging out with other believers because... So-and-so is not having a good day. So I will never go hang. And that doesn't mean, you know, kids are going to have hard times and difficult seasons. You've got to devote yourself to them. But at the same time, when every decision you make in your life is based upon your little kid, it's time to reassess who's your God. I'll tell you what. A little side parenting note. This is totally free of charge. If you give everything to your kid and never set boundaries you will raise a tiny demon. That was free. Absolutely free. I love you. What rules your life? What rules your life? What are the things that you have in your life that change and direct and guide, help you to make decisions? When things come up and you're like, you know what, i got to think about this. i got to ask some questions. If the questions you ask first on the top of your list are, hmm, what is this going to, how is this going to be affected? You know, what about this particular thing? Will my job be interfered with this? You know, when you begin to look at all of these things as the top directing principle of your lives, it's a pretty good idea, pretty good indicator that that 
happens to be the God you worship. Next one is this. What do you give your first and best time, energy, and money to? It's a great way to be able to identify what are the gods and the idols that we worship. What do we give our first and best time, energy, and money to? What is it? Think about this. This makes a lot of sense. Things that we really value. I mean, I like to watch Jay Leno. He loves cars. I mean, I, was, I, I think he said he has like 80 motorcycles. 80 mo- I mean, I'm not anyone to judge, but I mean, obviously he really, really likes motorcycles. All right? He is going to make whatever sacrifices it's got to take to buy a motorcycle. To keep it shiny, to make it look nice. Now think about this. You got 80 motorcycles. You got to have a place to store these. You're not just letting them sit outside in your Malibu house where salt water is going to destroy them. You got to have you got to have houses for your motorcycles. So you got to spend money. You're investing. You're beginning to look at okay, how do I invest to make this happen? To build bigger? To go beyond? To make sure that I can take good care of these things that have value in my life? I will give. My best and my first amount of time, energy, and money to these things. So when we look at those things in our lives, what is it that we spend the most of our money on? You know, I know this gets kind of tough, man. It's just like when we begin to look at this, we think, what is it that we spend our money on? You know, what is it that we devote so much? And this is not just so much how much money you give. This is not a plea, you know, keep giving money. This is a bigger picture that really goes into something broader that we'll actually look at a little bit more next week as we look at the concept of the stewardship. But when we ask ourselves, like, for example, money, it's not so much how much you give. You know, times are tough right now. But it's more of a question of what is the first fruits of your life? Right, you get a paycheck. What are the first questions you're asking? If it's like, you know, I gotta get this new pair of shoes. They're on sale now. Right? And you go down there, you buy shoes, and you realize there's a nice shirt that's half off. Gotta have that. I need a new sock. And you keep going down. It's like, I got to have, I got, and what happens is at the end of the day, you think, oh man, I don't have anything to give to God. I give God squat. And we have sort of a tithing routine called give God squat. And it's this mentality. That's like the routine most of us operate on. The squat tithe program. The issue is not so much how much am I giving. It's more this idea of who comes first to my mind and my energies of my day. What are the gods and idols that I'm bending down and worshiping? Does that make sense? That's the idea that we have to wrestle with and ask. Next question is this. What is it that gets you close to God? Let me try to explain what this means. You know, I've been around uh, um, church circles for, I don't know, 20-some years. I've been a Christian for like 20-some years. It's been kind of a funny thing to me to watch Christians. Let me give you an example. I, I hear Christians periodically, they're like, you know what? What really gets me close to God is emo worship music. That's, get, that's what gets me close. It's got to be emo. If it's like some old dude who smells like Old Spice playing in Oregon, I can't get close to God. Just can't get close to God. In fact, it drives me from God. But you know what? It's very possible your God, your idol, happens to be emo music. Alright? That becomes the mediator to get you to God. Okay? 
The real answer is Jesus is our mediator. He's the one that gets us to God. It doesn't matter what type of music is playing. It doesn't matter what type of heritage the pastor has. It doesn't matter the type of chairs I sit on. It doesn't matter how good or how horrible the coffee is at church. It doesn't really matter. Those are not things. It doesn't even matter. I hear people, they're just like, I can't go to church if the babies are crying in the back because I just can't worship God. Hey, look, I understand distractions. But at the same time, are we looking for some sort of like little routine and system that gets us to God? Guys, Jesus is what gets us to God. Okay? If we depend upon alternative things, it may very well be that we're sitting upon idols, hoping those things, everything's lined up to get us in this relationship with God. All right, I got one more. Then I'll let you guys off. It's this. What if taken or withheld from you would make you angry with God? Okay, now you got to think about this. What would it be that in your life right now, for some reason, it's taken away from you, right? It was withheld or you didn't get it would make you angry with God. Right? For some. I've known women that are like, I want a baby so bad. And I'm angry with God because He's not giving me a baby. That is a natural desire that's very good. Having a baby is very good. It's a healthy desire. It's a beautiful desire. But it's very possible if it comes to that point where it's like, if I don't get a baby then I will be angry with God. Or people who are like, you know what, if God gives me cancer, then I will never go to church again. If God takes away my spouse, then I will hate Him. I will resent Him. Or if God doesn't give me that job, then I'll stop going to church. I'll stop worshiping Him. Guys, this is the issue that we have to wrestle with. What are those things in our lives that we place this infinite value upon that affects us. This is why. This is why Christianity actually works. This is why guys like Paul the Apostle can literally have his back ripped open, all right, sitting in a prison cell in the middle of the night, actually begin to sing worship songs to God. You know why? You know what's most valuable in his life? Certainly not his body. Certainly not his retirement plan. And certainly not his position in the church. It's Jesus. It's why somebody who's had everything stripped, taken away from their life, everything, they're just reduced to absolutely nothing, they can say, though He slay me, I'll still worship Him. When that happens, you begin to realize who your real gods are. I've wrestled with this. I've thought about this. I love my two daughters and I love my wife. I spend a lot of time with them. Out of every other relationship in my life, that's at the top. All right? I love you guys, but I love them more. Because I know what happens. Sometimes people come here, they're here for four years, they get angry, they leave, send me bad emails, and that's it. My kids and my wife, they don't really do that to me. So I value my family. I really value my family. All right? And I've had to think, like, what would happen? If something happened to them. Because the bottom line is, is that what are the things that we hold to that really are idols in our lives? 
what are the good things that God's given us that actually have sort of been elevated to God things in our lives? See, this is what I'm trying to say is worship is central to every single one of our lives. Is this making sense to you guys? It's not just singing a song. It's not just clapping your hands. It's everything in our lives. Good job, kids. This is awesome. You guys are like, yeah. All right. This is the last thing I want to finish with. I promise I'm done. What are some of the expressions of worship that are found in the Bible? You have Nick kind of come up and he'll get ready to lead us in some worship to sing some worship. Here's some ways that this is expressed throughout the Bible. The ways in which expression, praise, is given to God throughout the Bible. Here's a couple, several. First of all, praising. Romans 11:36 talks about praising God, elevating God, lifting up His name. Another one is singing. Okay? Again, we talked about singing earlier. But singing is a very valid form. It's one of the biggest, most expressed types of forms of worship throughout the Bible. One of the most beautiful examples of this is in Exodus 15. God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel part, or, uh, go through on dry ground. Afterwards, there's a gal by the name of Miriam. She's the worship leader. She starts singing out in song. Everybody sings together to God, singing praise to God because God's a great God. Thanksgiving, Psalm 69. I love this one. It talks about magnify the Lord by thanks, but through thanksgiving. One of the ways in which we like exalt God, make God look glorious, you know, is by thanking Him, all right? By really just thanking Him, being intentional about thinking about what God has done in your life and thanking Him. These are ways in which we glorify and we worship God. Trusting. You know, by trusting God, what we're actually basically doing is we're saying, you know, God, you are worthy of my trust. You are worthy of my trust. Want to know one of the greatest ways to honor somebody in this particular sense is by trusting them. When people see, especially when Christians go through difficult times, hard times, cancer, whatever you want to think about, when they're going through these hard times, and even in those moments, they're like, you know what? God is good. What that is, it's trust. When people around them see that devotion and that sacrifice to God, it causes them to step back and realize, man, maybe God is worthy. Maybe He's valuable. Yes. That's what we're trying to say. He is valuable. He is worthy. Here's another one. Learning. Studying the Word of God. Psalm 119. Really big psalm. I encourage you to read it. It's all about the Word of God. And the psalmist basically saying, listen, studying, knowing, loving, meditating on the Word of God is one of the greatest forms of worship. It basically just says, God, what you have to say is meaningful. God, what you have to say is important. And I want to know it. We read the Bible. Study the Bible. Go to church here. God yell at you about the Bible. Confessing. When we confess our sins to God, we're basically showing that God's worthy. We worship Him by confessing our sins, by basically saying, God, You are worthy for me to confess my sins to. You're worthy to absolve, to forgive, to cleanse, to wash away my sins. And finally, working. I love this one. Working is really another way of worship as well. The Bible starts with Working, God gives Adam and Eve a call, says go to the garden, till the garden, do this whole thing with the whole earth. And then Jesus talks about while he's on the planet, he says, I do always the works of the Father. And then Jesus goes on, he says to his disciples, let the whole world see your works and let them glorify God in you. So work actually ought to be viewed as worship. Guys, the final thing is this. 
everything in our lives is designed to be centered around worship. It's not an issue of, I don't really worship. No, you do worship. We all worship. We all worship. We all have things that we value, that we devote ourselves to, that we make sacrifices for. The real issue is, what do we worship ultimately? What holds the greatest value in our lives? Why is all this important to this whole big scheme of things? Because what happens is when men worship false gods, people get stampeded at Walmarts, Hotels filled with people are killed. We wound people with our words. Divorces happen. We protect ourselves at any cost, even if that means taking a life. That's what happens when worshiping alternative gods takes control of a human race. The way to break that cycle is by the mercies of God opening our eyes to see that Jesus is worthy We devote ourselves to Him. We love Him. We value Him. And in doing so, we're transformed into His image. Worship matters. It is the most important thing in our lives. Who or what are you worshiping?